Hello and welcome to the Pulpiteer Podcast, an audio online ministry of Pastor Andy Kroll and St. John's Pilgrim United Methodist Church. You can visit us online at pilgrimunchurch.com or you can visit my blog at thepulpiteer.com for more sermons and writings. First Thessalonians 5, 12-22. <coughs> but we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of prophets, But test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Gracious and loving God, Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be an acceptable sacrifice to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So uh, we are in a a sermon series just looking at, you know, kind of what it means to to be Methodist or or highlighting some some Methodist-y things and and, uh, looking at the character of a Methodist, which is a piece that John Wesley wrote. uh, And in it is this paragraph. It says, For indeed he prays without ceasing. At all time the language of his heart is this, Unto you is my mouth, though without a voice, and my silence speaks unto you. My heart is lifted up to God at all times and in all places. He prays without ceasing. As uh, John Wesley was describing the Methodist, he said, the Methodists pray without ceasing, which is uh, quite an amazing challenge. And, and that's why we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, because as he was describing the Methodist, he cheated and he used the Bible. Can you believe that? That he would do something like that? But he said, yeah, the Methodists were supposed to pray without ceasing. With uh, um, the Methodist societies, as that developed, um, they had three rules, three general rules. The first was do no harm. The second was do good, which seemed like simple rules, right? Don't do bad stuff, do good stuff. There's simple rules, but then good luck, right? Is there anyone pulling off those two rules? Isn't it kind of funny? It's like, hey, we're going to do this kindergarten level. Do no harm, do good. How many are passing? Right? They only do that stuff. And then the third one is attend upon the ordinances of God, which sounds pretty fancy. But all it says, attend upon the ordinances of God, in other words, is to attend upon your relationship with God. Put time into that relationship with God. Um, attend, you know, pay attention to that relationship you have with God. Christians historically have done this through things like prayer, through thir- searching scriptures, through sacraments such as communion, through worship. That sort of stuff is us attending upon our relationship with God. John Wesley called that sort of thing means of grace. These Christian, uh, these spiritual disciplines are a means of grace. By that he meant it's a way that grace um, is mediated to you. It's a way that God's grace, it's a way that you can connect with God's grace. And so uh, we don't, like, just to be clear, as Christians, sometimes people think the Christian story is you do these churchy things, and the more churchy things you do, you get a resume of churchy churchiness, right? And then you present that resume to God, and God says, oh my gosh, you are the churchiest churchy church person I've ever seen. You, my friend, get into heaven, right? 
And like it's this works righteousness thing. But that's not the way the story goes. In fact, the story is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that proves God's love for us. And so what the point is, is that God loves us. God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. God loves you so much he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you in your sins so that you could have eternal life. But God loves you no matter what you've done, but loves you too much to leave you there. You see, the Christian story isn't just the, hey, we're going to pretend this never happened. But God saves us from our sin and really saves us from our sin. And what that means is not only forgiveness of our sin, but transformation of that sinful part of us, that we would be transformed. And to be transformed, it's not by our own might and strength, but by the grace of God. And so if the grace of God is supposed to rescue us from sin, so you get these wonderful imageries of, of being set free from slavery to sin, having chains fall off, like that sort of thing, light shining in the darkness, hopeful stuff. Well, if that stuff's going to happen, if, if it's the grace of God that does that sort of transformation, it's a legitimate question to say, okay, so how do I tap into that grace of God? What do I do to have it? Well, it's this relationship with God and that we find it through uh, this, the means of grace, the sacraments, prayer, searching the scripture, that sort of stuff. And so as we realize that, then logically it follows if we really do believe this story of the Christian God and, and that God sent his son for us and God desires a relationship with us, then um, theoretically we think, okay, so yeah, so I want to be in a relationship with that God and I would build into that relationship with God. So theoretically we have, yeah, we do this whole thing, the relationship with God, yeah. But then realistically, it doesn't always play out that way in our lives. Realistically, it can be a struggle to make sure you're hitting your prayer time. Realistically, it can be a, a bit different. In fact, realistically, I think if we kind of pause and ask ourselves, I think it's a good question to ask, um, what, what exactly is shaping me? What is it that's shaping my heart and my desires and my goals? What is it that's shaping um, my conversations? What is it that's shaping how I see the world? I was uh, talking with a friend of mine recently, and he was just talking about how he's in the middle of a conversation, and he kind of stopped himself, and he thought, why am I even talking about this? And then he asked this hard question. He said, he said, I started to think, am I more discipled by the world or by Christ and Scripture? And you know the thing that stunk about him asking himself that question and then telling me about it? Now I got to worry about it, right? And now you got to worry about it too, right? Yeah, it's, but that's a good question. Like, if you were to look at just how you interact with the world, what your conversations are about, how you value things, what you chase after, what is it that's shaping you? Can you honestly say you're more discipled by Scripture and the Holy Spirit and prayer than you are by pop culture or by the world around you? Like, do we end up chasing the very same things that the world around us chases? If that's the case, then um, I think this is a good word for us, uh, this word about prayer. John Wesley says, look, Methodists, they pray without ceasing. We are attending upon that relationship with God. And so I thought it'd be a good, uh, good time to just kind of stop and just say some things about prayer. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some, uh, hopefully some kind of practical tips on prayer. And then uh, we'll close up with a, a story about a fellow that has been, I think, pretty inspirational to me in regards to prayer. And we'll kind of close with that. So first, there's hopefully some kind of practical things about prayer. First suggestion on prayer is to just do it. You've got to pray. Like if you want to get better at praying, then you need to pray. 
not praying does not make you better at prayer, right? That makes sense. Like at some point, it's like if you're going to learn to ride a bike, at some point you've got to get on the bike. You can't learn to ride a bike in theory, right? And what happens when you start riding a bike the first time? You fall off. And so then you give up and you never come back to it. You say, riding bikes is for other people. Is that what happens? No. That's right, you quitters. You don't do that, right? You, you get back on that bike and you try riding. That's, it, it, it doesn't make, so we know that with bikes. Well, why wouldn't we do that with our relationship with God? I don't know. Prayer is hard. Yes, it is. There's a, a quote that I put on the, on the Facebook a lot of times during Lent because a, a church father, a desert father, was asked about what the hardest thing was. And he said, he said something along the lines of, prayer is the hardest thing because when a person tries to pray, the, the demons assail them at every end. I mean, it's like, like if, you, if we really believe that there are evil forces at work, do they want you praying to God, your creator? Is it any wonder our minds wander? I mean... Let's be realistic. So what are we going to do? Just say, well, I guess I'm not a good prayer. You can't do that. Like, if you're going to get better at praying, you need to pray. You need to try something. You need to do it. You need to get into it. Uh, one of the things you can do is you can make sure to have a set time and place. That, that kind of helps to try to build some sort of routine. Um, is there a spot in the morning? Is there a time? Or is there a time during the day when you naturally have... A, a consistent kind of break where you can make that be your prayer time. And to set a, a set a place. Is there a place that's helpful? A place that's going to be maybe a little less on the distraction end of things. A place where you can set some things to kind of raise your eyes and your visions to God. Sometimes, uh, you know, I've got a spot in the office where I've got uh, icons, pictures of Jesus throughout the life of Jesus, and miracles of Jesus, that sort of thing. It's kind of help raise my eyes to the heavens, so to speak. Do you have a place, uh, some people play uh, like soft kind of music in the background and, and that sort of stuff to kind of help focus their mind in that way. Do you have a place where you can do things physically you need to do for prayer? Maybe you want to have a place where it is okay that you can kneel or a place that, you know, you can bow your head and fold your hands. Um, you can, there are times you can pray in the car, and that's a good time to pray, but that's not a time to bow your head, right, and close your eyes, right, so you drive. But, but you do want to have those, those spots where it is um, a place that is a good place that works for you, and think ahead and kind of plan into that, a set time and a set place that can, that can help you with prayer. Um, there, are some, there are a lot of books that are tremendously helpful on prayer. I'm not someone, I, I don't think I'm someone that prayer comes naturally for. It's something I have work, I've put a lot of work on. The reason I put a lot of work into it, by the way, is not because I think then God will really super be impressed. This is, this is the honest truth. The reason I put a lot of work into it is because Jesus Christ saved my life. He saved my life. And I love him. I really do. And I got my faults and my downfalls and all of that sort of stuff. And I got my struggles of how I want to you know, live into these spiritual disciplines better. Um, but because I love him, I, I'm just going to keep trying. I'm going to try and get better at prayer because I want to be better at prayer because I do love God because he saved me. Like, it really just comes down to that. And you just hold on to that. Like, God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And so this stuff is worth, you know, working towards. And so uh, some books, it's like show and tell. I brought some books to show. Um, first is, uh, there's a book that we're going to do as a staff for this Lent called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People by Pete Gregg. And uh, there's a prayer exercise in there that I'm going to tell you about in just a second, but uh, it's a good uh, book on prayer. Uh, there's also a book that we did uh, last year maybe or the year before uh, during Lent called Praying with the Church by Scott McKnight, which is a wonderfully helpful book about just some of the traditional forms of prayer that the church has had throughout the years. One of the things I like about some of the traditional forms of prayer is 
some, I don't, maybe you're not this way, but sometimes if I feel like I have to make everything up as I go, it feels really overwhelming. And then it turns out there's been all of these wonderful prayers that have lasted centuries written by brilliant people who have the strong relationship with God, and you can pray along with them, and it's tremendously helpful. So that uh, Praying with the Church was a good book for that sort of thing. Um, the Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster kind of a classic book on spiritual disciplines. There's stuff in there about prayer, stuff in there about fasting, studying the scripture, solitude, simplicity, all sorts of stuff like that. So it's just, how do you do some of these spiritual disciplines? It's just, it was such a helpful book because it was just such a, just a practical way to approach some of those things. So it's a, kind of a classic celebration of disciplines. A couple books, uh, prayer books that I use um, for my own devotion time. Most of the time when I do my daily prayers, I do it out of the Book of Common Prayer, which is actually an Anglican book. Um, of course, the Methodists came from the Anglican Church. And it's got a daily prayer office in there, so I go through and do the prayers and, the, and uh, read through the psalms and the prayers that are in here. And then in the back of the book is a, a daily scripture reading schedule that I follow and, and, and read through that. And so there's prayers in that. And then there's also um, this book I use uh, quite often too, and it's um, The Divine Hours by Phyllis Tickle. It's got three different prayer times during the day. And this one's good for if you've got like five or ten minutes a few times a day and want to hit prayers for that sort of time. Uh, this is a tremendous book for that because you'll go through and you'll read some psalms or some scripture. You might read a hymn or some, something that a, a church father wrote. Uh, then you'll have some, the Lord's Prayer and then the prayer for the day and that sort of stuff. And it's just a, a great way to kind of go through and to pray and to keep in contact with God throughout the day. And so that's... Uh, the Divine Hours. There's, I think, a set of uh, it's three books, I think, of these because it, it, this is for February through May. So you'll get months broken up that way. So there's a, a bunch of the books there uh, that I wanted to make sure to kind of lay out for you so you see that there's a bunch of, of really helpful stuff. We live in an amazing day and age where you can just get on the interwebs and click a button and they send you in the mail like some wisdom of the ages. It's incredible. Like, we have access to almost anything ever written, which is, you can get amazing and uh, incredible stuff, or you can get really stupid stuff. Either way, it's kind of your choice, but it's, it's incredible that we have access to such wonderful resources, so prayer books can, can help. Another thing you can do is some sort of prayer structure, and so um, one of the things I do is, uh, whoops, there's the books, is uh, I'll break down the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so uh, for me, I'll break down the Lord's Prayer into five parts. Uh, you know, many of us know the Lord's Prayer. And so, we'll, so the first part will be, uh, my Father in heaven, holy is your name. And then I'll pause. And I'll pray through that. I'll pray to my Heavenly Father and tell him maybe what's going on in my heart, what's going on. I'll, I'll praise him, say you're holy, you're, you're awesome, you're beautiful and wonderful. All this, and, and just give praises to God. Uh, but then also talk to God as my Heavenly Father and just maybe lay on some stuff that's on my heart. After that is, uh, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At which point I'll, I'll just lift up other prayers that I have. I'll pray that God's kingdom would come in my heart, that God's kingdom would come in my family, God's kingdom would come in my church, and in our community, and in our world. I use that time to pray for the persecuted church. I'll pray for uh, family members, uh, you know, intercessory prayer and, and just petitions for people that are maybe ill or whatever is going on. And just pray for, uh, you know, God's kingdom to come in many different ways. Um, and then give me today my daily bread. And that's where I'll just pray that God would get me through the day. And that's an interesting prayer exercise in the sense that I, I try to focus on today. 
instead of saying, hey, God, could you lay out the next five years for me and let me know exactly how it's going to go, right? You, you probably aren't tempted by that, but I am. And so, um, yeah, God, please take care of me today. And I'll pray for Anne and the kids at that point. Just, you know, take care of us this day. Uh, Lord, forgive me for my sins as I forgive others. Confess, ask for forgiveness for sins. Um, I'll ask God to show me sins. That, that, boy, that's a scary conversation. Um, you know, Lord, please reveal to me areas in my life that I need to grow and, and work and help me to forgive others, that sort of thing. And then uh, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And just asking God to, to guide my steps and keep me out of the, the bad spots and guide me towards the good. That's one way to break down prayer. Another way is in this book, How to Pray. Um, and it's just using, I, I've done this uh, with church here a couple times to break it down into in P-R-A-Y. So pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. You just pause and listen to God. Rejoice would be prayers of thanksgiving. Asking would be prayers of intercession, praying for folks, praying for yourself, whatever it is. Yield is a, a way of, you know, how are you yielding to God? Maybe asking God, is there something in my life that needs to change? Can you help me, give me strength to go into it? Uh, maybe it's yielding in the sense of confessing your sins and asking forgiveness, that sort of stuff. So P-R-A-Y, pray. There's other stuff like that, like Acts is another one, if I remember right. Adore, confess, thanks. I don't know, like in supplication, I think. So there's different forms of that. It's not like there's one officially mandated by Pilgrim UMC that you have to do. It's, like, it's just the idea is there's these things that are helpful, to kind of break down prayer into these chunks um, to help you go through and, and hit those spots and to kind of give you some guidance and, and um, some structure for it. So um, pray. Another uh, thing that you can do that, that I've done, it's called the Jesus Prayer. And so it's uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You just memorize that and you pray it and you pray it and you pray it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's something that you uh, pray time and time again. And you pray it a lot of times because you want it to kind of sink into your bones. You want it to just kind of like get into your being. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's not something you just like ramble through because you want to hit a hundred of them without thinking about it. It's something that you want to just, it's a mantra that you just keep repeating to yourself. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and the goal is to have that kind of uh, um, just get into and sink into your being. So memorizing prayers is helpful as well. The last uh, suggestion I'll have, which leads us into the, the person I want to talk about, is practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. You may wonder what I mean by that, and thus leads us into our story. Of Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. It's, uh, I can't think about this verse, pray without ceasing, without thinking about Brother Lawrence. I read um, from uh, Practice of the Presence of God years ago. And it's just kind of this amazing story of this, this, this guy. His name was Nicholas Herman. He was born in France in 1611. And he was not a highly educated guy. But he was a spiritual seeker. had a, a powerful spiritual experience, I believe, at the age of 18. Uh, but he was still haunted by fear, haunted with fear of being sent to hell. And so he was really kind of troubled spiritually and seeking spiritually and um, just afraid that God was going to reject him. He went through, uh, he served in the military for some time, got injured in that actually, and then worked as a servant, as a footman or something like that for, for 18 years between the military and the service. And then he just sought to devote himself to God. And the first thing he tried to do was to live in solitude as a hermit. 
and so it's just apparently by yourself, which was a, a terrible failure. It didn't work for him. It was horrible. He was miserable. It didn't work. So then he figures uh, he's going to enter into uh, a monastic order. And so in 1649, he presented himself as a candidate in the order of the Barefooted Carmelites in Paris. Barefooted Carmelites. Now there's a thing, right? So the Carmelites, I just learned this this week, it's because uh, their order was founded centuries earlier by Mount Carmel, where Elijah had a lot of his encounters, right? And so since they're by Mount Carmel, they were the Carmelites. You kind of hope that they made candy, but that's not the case. Uh, it was more of the location, not the candy making. They're the barefooted Carmelites because there was actually a split that happened within the order where some people, they tended to be a more aesthetically strict order, and there was a split, and so one of them was a little bit lighter. But the barefooted Carmelites were more strict with their self-denial. And so it says that their refusal to wear shoes was intended to express reverence, humiliation, poverty, and penance. And the brothers wore sandals or went barefoot to kind of express that sort of humility. So that was the order that he entered into. He entered into the service with this order, and he struggled for 10 years to find peace. And during that time, he took no pleasure in prayer. I don't want to breeze over that because he has 10 years. I mean, he entered a monastic order, pretty extreme. Like, this guy is, like, feeling troubled. He's going to, like, seek God. He enters into a monastic order, for crying out loud. And in there, you would think that, and so then everything would fall into place. No, for 10 years, for 10 years, he sought peace and couldn't find it. For 10 years, he didn't find any pleasure in prayer. Now, I bring that up because I don't know if you realize this about our society. You probably haven't picked up on it, but we tend to be a little bit of an instant gratification culture. Have you picked up on that? Ten years. Can you imagine waiting ten years to find any sort of peace? Like you feel like, hey, here I've done all I can. But he's stuck at it. And what he is kind of fascinating, what he actually ended up arriving at, and this huge breakthrough came, when he figured, look, God's either going to send me to heaven or hell, I'm just going to say, you know what, whatever you do, I'm going to love you. Which is an interesting way. He just said, whatever happens, God, wherever you take me, I'm just going to love you. And that's all I'm going to worry about is loving you. And that's all I can do. And this huge breakthrough came. And he was granted this grace and this peace that just ended up being a bulwark through the rest of his life and everything else he had. And uh, it, it marked him and changed him really forever. And, and so he enters into, he's, he's, he has this tremendous peace, and then he becomes known as Brother Lawrence, who practices the presence of God. Oh, by the way, when he entered the, when he entered the order, he's, his name was changed, so he was given the name of Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. So he, uh, he, he goes through this uh, service, and he starts to practice the presence of God, and, and what this means is he was assigned, Brother Lawrence was assigned like the most menial work uh, at the place. And he was working in the kitchen for most of his time. And what he started to do was he, started to, he, he thought, you know, whatever I'm going to do, um, I'm going to continually focus on the presence of God. And so during all of his work, everything that was going on, he just trained himself to continually be aware that God was present with him. And so all the time he's just training in his mind, hey, remember God is with you. And he'd continually be aware and continually be praying to the presence of God being here. And he, he, just, he just formed this habit. What this would look like, as an example of what this would look like, is he would go to the kitchen to do his work. He would begin work with a prayer, asking God, God, give me the grace to keep company with you. 
And then he would start to do his work, and he would pray throughout his work. He'd go to one task, and he said, Lord, give me the grace to do this. And then as he was doing the work, he would offer each thing up that he was doing, he would offer it up to the Lord as an offering. And then when he was finished with his work, he would examine his work. And the stuff that he did well, he would praise God that he did it well, and he would thank God for. And then for the stuff that he messed up, he would pray for forgiveness and pray that God would help him do better tomorrow. And in this way, he went through moment by moment by moment in a continual conversation with God, continually bringing his mind to the reality of the presence of God. He practiced the presence of God. One of the things he said was, from the beginning of my entrance into the religious life, I regarded God as the goal and the end of all my thoughts and affections of my soul. It's an incredible uh, statement, actually. And think about what that means to have God be the goal and the end of all your thoughts and affections. That you're pointing towards God, that you're desiring God, that, that, that this is the direction. And so he, he trained himself so much to focus on this sort of thing that it became a habit. Because, you know, we can develop good habits alongside bad habits. Well, he developed this habit of continually thinking about God to the point where he said it was difficult for him to not. It was more difficult for him to forget God than it was to remember God because he had practiced the presence of God for so often. And so in this way, uh, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection did all of his menial tasks, praying to God through the whole thing, never complaining. And then the leader of, of the order said that he would often do the work it took two other people to do. And he's kind of amazed because it wasn't that he was rushed or, or forced in anything, but he just went at it, did his work. And there's just something about the, me- the method of how he did it that would, he would do more work than they expected of him. He received spiritual insights Um, uh, throughout his relationship with God. He received spiritual insights that many times his more scholarly, intelligent fellow brothers didn't receive. And so he became this known figure in his own order. Um, You know, for this relationship, this strong relationship that he had with God. He was known for his humility and his service to his brothers in the kitchen and especially known for his absolute love of God. He, He said some remarkable things just about his love of the Lord and his trust for God. Um, he had a tremendous gift of faith that was shaped over time. Now, I bring up Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection because when I go through First Thessalonians and I hear the verse to pray without ceasing, my gut reaction is to think, that must, that's impossible. He must be, that must be some sort of figurative language. Because honestly, at times I struggle to hit my daily prayer. And yet, here is this humble monk who made his entire life a prayer to God. He took every moment to consciously consider God's presence. The fruits of that life, I think, became evident. Um, it was, I, I read through uh, his eulogy, and I want to share the end of his eulogy because it's really beautiful, but it also shows like what is the result of a life lived building this relationship with God. And so at his eulogy, it was said, on Monday, February 12, 1691, At nine o'clock in the morning, Brother Lawrence died in the arms of the Lord. If one can conjecture about what follows death by the holy actions that precede it, how can we feel otherwise about Brother Lawrence? It's easy to conclude without flattery that his death was precious before God and that it was followed closely by an eternal reward, that his end is among the saints and that he presently enjoys glory. With God, his faith has surely been rewarded by clear sight his hope by eternal possession, and his earthly love by a heavenly consummated love. The beautiful eulogy is talking about 
he, he got to receive his reward. You know, I've asked, what is shaping you? What is it that's shaping you? Are we more discipled by the culture or by God, by our relationship with God? And it's an important question because all of the stuff that we chase, all of the stuff that we focus on, all of the stuff that our passions are directed towards, like not all of us have this whole thing where we have this passion, like Brother Lawrence said, that, that I regarded God as the goal and the end of all my thoughts and affections. He said we have other goals and ends to our thoughts and our affections, but here's the thing, those things will all run out. They will either end during our earthly life or our earthly life and our time will run out and those things will be gone. There is only one relationship that is going to carry us forward into the future that waits for all of us. And so, are you more shaped by your Heavenly Father or by the world around you that is passing away? Because we hear St. Paul in, in 1 Thessalonians, or we hear John Wesley in the character of a Methodist, or we hear Brother Lawrence in the practice of the presence of God. In fact, I think we hear all of the saints imploring us to pray without ceasing and to build into that relationship that is the eternal relationship with your creator God who loves you dearly. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.